We are in our series here on 1 John, so if you want to open up your Bible or get your app out, we're in 1 John, and uh, you want to get there uh, as we read some scripture today and ask God to teach us. Did you know the average person is now estimated to be exposed to between 6,000 and 10,000 ads every day? Those figures are double that of 2007. So all those banners that come up when you, when you go on the internet or all the billboards you drive by or the things you hear on the radio, 6,000 to 10,000 ads every day. The advertising industry is trying to push something on you. This means the advertising agency, um, industry is trying to push something onto you every four seconds. Some type of advertising every four seconds. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? I was in Home Depot this week, and they're already pushing Christmas. Have you seen that? The Christmas trees are up. They're pushing the, the decorations and deals on decorations. It's September, for crying out loud. Well, one of the strangest ads I've ever seen was in the Dr. Pepper Museum in Waco, Texas. That's right. There is a museum for Dr. Pepper in Waco, Texas. And if you know anything about me, Dr. Pepper and, and any other soda that has a medical degree attached to it, like Dr. Thunder, they are my favorite sodas. I will not drink Mr. Pibb. He does not have a doctor's degree. So, so I love Dr. Pepper, and we were visiting friends in Waco, so we went to this Dr. Pepper Museum, and they had an internal slogan contest years ago that, that, uh, that they uh, had within the company, and the slogan that won became a new ad. And that campaign was called the 10 4 Dr. Pepper campaign. I bought the t-shirt, actually, I didn't wear it today, but what happened was research was, was provided, was discovered that, that, that sugar provided energy, and at the same time, there was research that says you have a letdown and you have a slump in energy around 10.30 a.m. and around 2.30 p.m. and around 4.30 p.m. So somebody got the bright idea, well, if that's when you're having an energy slump, why not get a Dr. Pepper at 10 and 2 and 4? And that was the campaign. It was a national campaign. So you can combat that slump by drinking a Dr. Pepper at 10 a.m., 2 p.m., and 4 p.m., maintaining your energy and your incredible weight gain at the same time. <laughs> Another wacky big soda idea was pushing 7-Up onto toddlers. This is back in the 50s. It said the soda was, quote, so pure, so wholesome that you can give it to babies and feel good about it. And the ad suggested that moms should mix equal parts of 7-Up with their kids' milk for a wholesome combination that would encourage even the pickiest of toddlers to drink their milk. What a great idea. <laughs> one, one ad had a picture of a baby guzzling 7-Up out of the bottle as the mother was holding the bottle up. It's crazy talk. But we're, we're getting things pushed on us all the time. Um, not just soda, not just food, not just holidays, but all kinds of things. All kinds of philosophies and ways to think. And no human is really able to process the mountains of, of information in, in junk mail and TV ads and emails and things that we get every single day. However, you may find that there are certain things that you are drawn to. Some of them are, are, are really tempting. For instance, when Janice and I are traveling, if there is a bookstore that we travel, we go by, we walk by, I have to go in. I'm just drawn to those bookstores. 
And she rolls her eyes when she sees that bookstore sign hanging down the sidewalks. I guess we're going to go there. You might be an antique store person or a clothing store, or maybe you're a gadget person and you see a gadget store and you got to go in, or maybe maybe it's, you know, uh, you're a sports bar person and, and the only time you go into a sports bar is when there's a minimum of 20 TVs because you need to be able to see everything going on. The world is constantly trying to draw us in. If I'm within a 60-mile radius of Shady Maple, I've, I'm sorry, i got to go, right? You guys know Shady Maple. But the world is constantly trying to draw us in, but it's not just to shop. It's drawing us in to believe the way that it does, to feel the way that it does, to value what the world is offering. And our appetites are drawn to what we choose to love. If I choose to love donuts, which I have in the past, I will be drawn to donuts. If I choose to love something, I will be drawn to it. If I choose not to love donuts, you know what that's called? It's called a diet, which I don't like. But um, the world system is, is offering all kinds of things, offering all kinds of things for us to love. And we don't even know it many times. And it starts when we're young and it continues until we're old. The world system is offering, offering lots of things to love. And as a follower of Jesus, we need to be very careful what we put into our cart to love and to shop. And I'm not just talking about shopping in a shopping cart. I'm talking about the shopping cart of our heart. We need to be very careful what we click on and what we choose to love. John says it this way in 1 John chapter 3, verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. First of all, let's define what he means by world here. He certainly doesn't mean the people of the world because remember in John 3.16, we read, For God so loved the world, the people of the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but will have eternal life. So when John uses world, he's not talking about the people of the world. He's not saying, don't love the people of the world. It's not what he's saying. Because God loves the people of the world. Instead, what he means, what he means is don't love the system of the world, the philosophy that the world is pushing, the philosophy that runs the world system. And he outlines exactly what he means. We don't have to guess about that because the next verse defines it, defines the world. Look at verse uh, 16. For everything in the world, so he's defining it for us now, everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And notice this very, very important fact from the very beginning. Love for the world system and love for God's kingdom are mutually exclusive. That's a math term. It's a logic term. Mutually exclusive. They can't exist together. Our appetites are drawn toward what we choose. We can't love both God's kingdom and love the world system at the same time. The spiritual math doesn't work. The things in the world come not from the Father, but from the world. So craving what my body wants, craving what my eyes see, and craving the attention and the applause of others, that's what the world system is about. Our world system is built on it, it values craving, it values coveting, and it values congratulating. And not the good kind of congratulating. The self-congratulating, the pride of life. 
And we can see it's from the very beginning, our enemy has laid the foundation for this system and it's continued since the beginning. Let's go back to the garden where he got the wheels in motion. Let's go back to the garden in Genesis 3, verse 5. The woman is told, for God knows that when you eat from this tree, which they were forbidden to eat from, when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. He entices Eve's pride. You'll be like God. Well, this would certainly be an upgrade, wouldn't it? And so Eve was, was tempted in that way. And in the next verse in chapter 3 of Genesis, when the woman saw the fruit of the tree, uh, she saw it was good for food and pleasing to the eyes. There's the lust of the eyes, the craving for what I see, judging the value of something by what it looks like and how it would look like in me or on me. And in Genesis 3, 6, 7, it says, She took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made covering, coverings for themselves. Prior to this sin, there was no shame. Their bodies were not an issue at all. The flesh and the lust of the flesh was not an issue. There was no lust. But with the sin of taking of the fruit, the forbidden fruit, and eating it, now they, now they feel shame. And now they have to cover up themselves. And now the flesh has the power to enslave. So as you see from the very beginning, in the opening chapters of the Bible, in the beginning of human society, craving and coveting and congratulating and receiving power draws us away from the source of our life and the source of our love and the source of our light, as John describes it in his letter. So this world system began all the way back there in the garden, and we've been struggling against it ever since. So everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it doesn't come from the Father. It comes from the world. And so John warns in the next verse, verse 17, he, he warns his, his fellow believers, the world and its desires will pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. He's saying, God, guys, all these things that are, that, are, that are pressuring us and are drawing us in, you got to realize that they're temporary. And they will pass away. Jesus said it too. Uh, John recorded uh, in his gospel that Jesus said, loving, loving to do the will of God is the most satisfying appetite to cultivate. Because we read in John 4.34, Jesus said, My food, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's my food. That's what I crave. It's a love that's always satisfying, doing God's will in, in every part of our day, loving his kingdom and his kingdom work instead of loving the world's system, which will pass away. Now you're here, so I'm assuming that you have a desire, the same desire that John has, the same desire that Jesus has, that your food be to do the will of him who sent Jesus. So the question is this for us. We're in a world that is drawing us in, that is pressuring us in different ways. How do I fight against that? How do I battle that? And this is what John is trying to tell his readers. How do I battle against a world system that's got this pressure and that it's pushing uh, passions and it's pushing pursuits that are anti-Jesus? How do I battle against that? We've got to realize three things. 
So if you're taking notes, we've got to realize three things. First of all, we've got to realize that the world system is powerful. We can't be spiritually naive. We have to realize that the world system is powerful. It's not just a matter of being different. The world is different. It's not just a matter of being, let's say, faithless. They don't have faith. It's, not, it's, it's bigger than that. The world system is powerful. The lust of the eyes and of the flesh and the pride of life has real power to distract us. It has real power to deter us and even destroy disciples of Christ. That's why John's writing this letter. Because the pressure of the world and the pressure of certain people inside the church were beginning to destroy the church. And John's saying, brothers and sisters, don't be naive. This is powerful, this world system. And it's powerful because who's behind it? Just like in the garden, our enemies behind it. Jesus said so when he was saying goodbye to his disciples in John 14. When he was saying goodbye right before the cross, he said, I will not say much more to you for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. And it's why he, he prayed in, in the garden of Gethsemane in John 17. He said, my disciples are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you, do you know the word? But that you protect them. That you protect them from the evil one. Because this world system, as it's being energized by our enemy, is powerful. I don't have to give examples of how powerful it is. Moms and dads, many of you know uh, the pain and the sorrow of someone in your family, one of your kids has just walked away from the Lord because the world is so strong and powerful. Moms and dads, we need to pray against this power. It's not good enough to get our kids the right teaching or get them in a good children's program or a good youth group. They're all wonderful. They're all necessary and needed. But we need to pray like Jesus prayed, not to take them out of the world, but Lord, you would protect them from this powerful world system. If Jesus prayed for their protection, ought we not to be praying for their protection too? We need to pray against the power of this world system and all its tools, the media, the social media, certain music, certain movies, advertising, the pressure to conform. It's out there, and it's powerful. There is a power to conform, and even Paul preaches against that in Romans 12. Remember that, that pretty famous uh, couple of verses in Romans 12, verse 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So it's powerful, people, and we have to realize that. The second thing we need to realize is this, from verse 17. First of all, we admit that this, this power, this world system, it, it, it's powerful, and don't be spiritually naive about it. And the second thing is we've got to realize that it's pointless. The world system is pointless. It says the world and its desires pass away. So those things that draw us away from Christ are, are, are really pointless because they will pass away. They're temporary. What is popular now, what is pleasurable now, will poof. It will disappear. It'll disappear. It'll pass away. I remember centuries ago when I was a youth pastor, um, 
there was a song by Kenny Marks that, that I really liked, and it's called Life After High School. And, it, and it, the first two verses go like this. He was a football player of the first degree. He was a lousy student, but they let him be. You'd have, you should have seen the girls swoon when he came down the corridor. He couldn't see the future when they wouldn't be his friends anymore. Ten years later, he's just a bore. Is there life after high school? Is there life after high school when things are rearranged? We never learn the rule that nothing stays the same. Is there life after high school when all our values change? Some of us were fooled by the social game. She was the best looking girl at Central High. She had boys wrapped around her fingers. She could make them cry. But all she had was looks. And we didn't know. We couldn't see the future when she'd let herself go. She stands in the path now where the lights are low. Is there life after high school? Is there life after high school when things are rearranged? We never learned the rule that nothing stays the same. Is there life after high school when all our values change? Some of us were fooled by the social game. Here's the thing. It's not just high schoolers who can be fooled by the social game. It's not just high schoolers that can think this stuff that the world is offering is, is, is not pointless. It's purposeful. No, it's pointless. It's more than high schoolers that are fooled by a world system that says this is important or that this should occupy my time or this pleasure is fine as long as nobody gets hurt. We can all be fooled. We can all be fooled. But the second realization is this. We need to realize that the lust of the eyes and, and the lust of the, of the flesh and the pride of life are really pointless because they pass away. And you know, even the world itself, we're told in Scripture, will pass away. Not just the values, not just the pursuits and the passions, but the world itself, that thing which is drawing us so powerfully and pointlessly, it's going to pass away. Peter tells us, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, the heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it, it's an interesting phrase, right? The earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, Peter the disciple asks, what kind of people ought we to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. In keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells, where the system is righteousness, and it lives there. See, the world's passing. Its desires are temporary. So those things that are drawing us away, they're really pointless in the grand scheme of things. And we need to realize that. And finally, number three, we need to realize the world is powerful. We need to realize that really the world and its desires are, are, are pointless. And thirdly, they're poisonous. Look at verses 18 and 19. They're poisonous. They spread like a disease. Dear children, verse 18, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed 
that none of them belong to us. See, there's a poison that's been injected into the world system. It's contagious and it spreads. It's called the spirit of anti-Jesus, the spirit of antichrist. And anything that denies Jesus is called anti-Jesus. Yes, there is a culminating figure which many are enamored by and we need to learn about him, someone called the Antichrist, but that's not what John is talking about here. He's talking about the spirit of Antichrist. And John says there's many Antichrists or Anti-Jesus that are already out there poisoning the world and poisoning the church in his time period and our time period. So how do I fight back against all of that? How do I fight back against a, a world system that's pushing these, these, these passions and trying to draw us in with these pursuits that are anti-Jesus? First of all, we're going to realize three things. First of all, we realize that, that it is powerful. The world system is powerful. We can't be naive. Number two, we've got to realize that it's pointless to follow those pursuits. And thirdly, we've got to realize it's poisonous. It's dangerous. It may start out small, but it will grow. But that's only half of the answer. John gives us the other half of the answer. And this is the part of the sermon I really wanted to get to. <laughs> verse 20. So we go down here, verse 20. But, in other words, this is all the, the bad news. This is what we're fighting against. Now let's flip the tables. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. I don't write to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it. In other words, I'm reminding you of what you already know. The answer is right in front of you, is what John is saying. You already know it. Verse 22, who is the liar? It's whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. He's saying, don't tell me you know God if you don't know Jesus. Don't tell me you know God the Father if you don't know his son. All right, it, It's a theological truth, but it's also incredibly obvious. Don't tell me you know about the Father unless you know the son, Jesus. And that's what people in John's day were doing. And many are saying that today, too. I know God. I'm spiritual. I believe in God. Well, do you know his son, Jesus? How can you say you know the Father if you don't know the son? Verse 24 as for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, here it is again, as for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need any, anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. So the answer to fighting against these pressures, whether it's from the world or from our flesh, the answer to fighting and winning against the world system and its pressures is this anointing. And it's pretty clear who John is talking about when he's talking about the anointing. The answer is the anointing. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. John uses this term anointing to describe the gift of the Holy Spirit given to every believer the moment that they are born again. It's the Spirit who draws us to Christ. 
It's the Spirit who regenerates us, John 3, 6. It's the Spirit who washes us, Titus 3, 5. It's the Spirit who seals us forever, Ephesians 1, 13. And it's the Spirit who empowers us. This is only one verse, Acts 1, 8. Remember Acts 1, 8, when the disciples are, were, were talking to Jesus before he ascended, and Jesus says, you got a mission to reach the world. He already gave them the Great Commission, but he says, wait. Don't go anywhere until the Spirit comes, because he will empower you in your mission. If you would, flip on over to uh, chapter 4 of 1 John. Remember I told you John cycles through his different teachings? Well, he's cycling through here in 1 John chapter 4. Look at verse 1. He says, Dear friends, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. We looked at this week 1. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come into flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, or the Anti-Messiah, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. There it is again. There is a spirit of anti-Jesus in this world system. He doesn't say the person of Antichrist. He says, rather, a spirit of Antichrist. Let's go on. He says, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. I'm going to read that verse again. You dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. I'll never forget when I was a kid and... and um, you know, kids, we have nightmares and things like that. This is a verse my dad taught me a long time ago, and, and it was usually in my bedroom in the dark when I was really upset about a nightmare. David, remember, the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. I remember that from when I was a kid. Yes, the world system is powerful, but there is a spirit in us who is greater than the one who is in the world. So as, as, as powerful as that system is, the spirit in us is way more powerful. He even uses the word overcome with his fellow believers. Jesus was in the shadow of his death and prior to the light of his resurrection when he said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. The power of this world over you was broken at the cross. Jesus said that before he even went to the cross. He gave a framework. He gave a, a pair of eyeglasses on the cross that was more than pain and suffering. He said, this is the event that breaks the power of sin in your life. The power of this world over you was broken at the cross, and Ephesians tells us that the power that raised Jesus from the dead, his spirit, is in you. That should blow us away. The power that raised Jesus from the dead, namely the spirit of God, is in you. And while the pursuits and the passions of this world that John describes as pointless because they're passing away, what the spirit produces is more powerful, it is purposeful, and it's eternal. So the answer to the pressures of the world system that would draw us from God is the anointing, the Holy Spirit, 
who draws us towards God and gives us power inside to beat back that pressure. And while the world, as John describes it, is poisonous, it spreads, it can destroy your, 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 your spiritual life, he also says the Spirit's there as the anointing to regenerate and to renew. When Paul wrote to Titus, he wrote this. It sounds an awful lot like what John said. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Sounds like the world system, right? We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Sounds like our world system. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So the Spirit is the answer to the world system. The Spirit is in you as a believer to battle that powerful, although pointless and poisonous pressures of the world. The Spirit is in you, and He replaces them with His greater power and His eternal purpose and His constant renewing work in us. That's the answer. The anointing is the answer to our battle with the world system. The world may try to draw you in every four seconds, but the Holy Spirit's in you every second of the day. Yesterday, I was, I was using my air compressor that I got for Christmas to do some trim work. I was putting trim work around some windows, and it was filled with air. For those of you who don't know what an air compressor does, it was filled with air. It compresses the air. And when I turned it on, the pressure rose inside the tank. There was a lot of power available for me to do some nailing. And whenever I, I, I do that, I always kind of take a step away just in case it explodes. You know, it's not supposed to, but you never know. But even though I have my nailer attached to the hose and the hose was attached to the tank, that air pressure wasn't doing anything until I pulled the trigger. And as soon as I pulled the trigger on my tool, then I became a happy nailer. I was bam, 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 things went fast. When the world is exerting pressure on you, understand that there is a greater pressure in your tank. Amen? Amen. There is a greater pressure in your tank than the pressure of the world. But you have to access it. You can't just sit there and look at the tank. You can't just kind of take a step away. It's really pretty powerful. I don't, I don't know if I want to use it. We have to access it and activate it by faith. You need to believe who the Holy Spirit is and where he is, why he came. He's in you as Jesus promised if you are a follower of Christ. Ask to be filled and believe that you are. I mean, if God commanded us to be filled with the Spirit, as we read in Ephesians 5.18, if God commanded us to be filled with the Spirit, wouldn't he answer a prayer along the lines of, will you fill me with your spirit? It makes sense, right? So if he commanded it, let's pray it. And then in faith, believe that he's done that, that he's filled us with the spirit. Pull that trigger and hammer away in the spirit. Whether it's a habit you're dealing with or it's pressure you're feeling from the outside, let him do the work in you. Listen to him. 
Or as Paul says in Galatians 5.16, walk by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the sinful nature. That's, that's, boy, that's, that's the whole message right there. Paul says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. What I would love to hear, I'd love to hear stories in the coming days of the overcoming pressure that the Spirit uses in you to hammer down the lust of the eyes, to hammer down the lust of the flesh, to hammer down the pride of life. I'd love to hear stories of, of instead of, of those things, you know, the fruit of the Spirit being produced. I know it's the end of the harvest season, but I think one of the best times during the summer is when the fruit is being produced and you can see it. Let's tell stories of the fruit of the Spirit being produced in each of us because greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world system. Let's pray. So many offers from the world, Father, are anti-Jesus. So much pressure that comes uh, in relationships and work. Um, Lord, in, in uh, desires, cravings, so many of those things, Lord, are just not focused on you. They're not about you. And we know that there is a prince of this world who was driven out at the cross, but he's still active. He doesn't like anybody who loves you. And so he doesn't like people who are sitting here right now. And he knows he has a system that can work us to the point where we are ineffective, we're distracted, we're deterred from the kingdom. And so we pray against that today, and we confess boldly that greater is he that is in us, the Holy Spirit, the anointing, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we confess that today. And if you're a person that, that, that right now needs to, needs to be filled with the Spirit, that you know the, the tank, he's in your tank, but you have an access to him, do that today. Pray, Lord, fill me with your Spirit, and then go be active, and go fight the battle. Fight the battle that we've all uh, had to fight, that we're all in, and know that we are overcomers. Jesus even said that. He overcame so we can overcome. Activate the spirit that's in you as a believer to battle those powerful, those pointless and those poisonous pressures. Let him replace those things in you with a greater power and with that eternal purpose and a constant renewal inside of you. That's why he came. That's why Jesus gave his spirit to you and to me. Lord, that is our prayer. And just like John had to remind and remind and remind his brothers and sisters, continue to remind us of the great anointing that we have in your Holy Spirit. To your praise and glory, I pray. Amen. Amen.